we're starting to see some changes. Some of that, you know, I'll give MBS some credit for pushing those, but frankly, I think these changes would, they have been happening far too slow and far too late, but I think they would be happening regardless of the leadership there. All right, um, and I guess no one's protesting that, yeah. on college campuses the way they do in America. They'd probably just be shot dead or executed. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, no snowflakes in Saudi Arabia. This is the Mideast Feast Podcast. I am your host, Molly Livingstone, here in the Middle East. It appears that way by the heat and the constant threat of war. On the other side of that, we have today a very special guest, Perry Kamak. He is a fellow in the Middle East program at Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Doesn't that sound so beautiful? Perry, thank you so much for joining us and analyzing me. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Molly. Because you're this expert, I thought it would be really interesting to talk to somebody about Saudi Arabia. How do you feel about that? Sounds good. Okay. Bring it on. I'm game. Mm, That's what you said, too, off the radio. So here's the thing. I don't get it because I thought, here's this young prince, right? He, Mohammed bin Salman, Solomon, Salman, I want to make him Jewish, but he's not clearly because he's a prince in Saudi Arabia. And he's supposed to be the fresh prince of Saudi Arabia. I mean, he came in and he wanted to make all this amazing change financially for the economy. It felt like he was kind of being liberal. He just allowed women to drive for the first time. Um, Some can even have businesses without asking for the male signature. It all seems so good. They can even go to football games and watch by themselves. There was a fashion week, granted no gays or drinking, so it must have sucked. But nonetheless, it seemed like progress. And yet, there's all these things that No, Saudi Arabia actually is one of the worst violators of human rights. So I don't understand what's going on. And this, Perry, I think is where you can come in and help us, you know, do a for dummies quick look at Saudi Arabia. Sure. uh, We'll try. Let's see how it goes. So I I think what's happening here is um, obviously, as you said, Mohammed bin Salman, he's uh, he's brash, he's charismatic, he's young. Um, in a sense, he's everything that his predecessors, I mean, he's still the, the crown prince, but yeah. effectively he's ruling Saudi Arabia yeah. as the king. He'd be ruling um, Tinder with that, how you just described him. Sounds <laughs> awesome. I'd date but, him. But I think what some people are confusing here is modernization versus uh, liberalization. So I think uh, Prince Mohammed, MBS, as many call him, clearly I think he has a vision of a more modern Saudi Arabia in that women have some role – uh, there's a, a more vibrant private sector that they begin to wean themselves from oil. But that's happening in an anti-liberal or illiberal context in which actually he himself is playing more of a role. It's essentially an authoritarian modernization. So in a sense, both of the things, both of the trends you said are true. Uh, Women are slowly opening up. There is a cultural kind of awakening. That is very true. But we're also seeing higher levels of repression than we've seen in the past, in part because he's undertaking this kind of Game of Thrones um, attempt to uh, seize political power. So that's kind of scary because then it's this facade. It's not real. It could actually be way worse for them. And yet, 
when it comes to PR, they're going to look fantastic. So can you explain, because this kind of all blew up a little bit when Saudi Arabia got in a tweet war. I can't believe I said that, but that's real with Canada. Yeah. Well, I, w- I wouldn't say it's a facade, though. I was in uh, Riyadh a couple of months ago. And if you compare in the street, I mean, you see women in a way you didn't 10 years ago. Mm, that sounds If dirty. you go in, for instance, in the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, a decade ago, you could have spent an entire day and not see a single woman. Now women are there. So, so things are happening. I wouldn't say it's a facade. But, but, but are they happening. there in a cage on the street or, you know what I'm saying? Like, are they yeah, really well, there? What, what, what I think is happening to a large extent is that MBS is, is riding this wave that's already happening. He recognizes that something like 50 or 60 percent of his population is under 25. For many years now, a majority of the graduates of Saudi universities have been women. And he's essentially using that as his base or his constituency as he seizes power from the different versions of the Saudi family. So, so it is real, the changes that are happening. But, but this goes back to the first part of your question. It's happening under a kind of authoritarian veneer in which power, decision-making, executive authority is increasingly in Prince Mohammed's hands. You, so that takes us to, to, to Canada and the, and the kind of foreign policy uh, misadventures that, that have yeah, been happening. Yeah, just before so. you go to Canada, you just mentioned that most of the graduates from college are women. Yep. So does that not sound bizarre to you? They're not allowed to drive cars, but they can get degrees. How does that yeah. happen? Well, I mean, and that ultimately, I think, is what's pushing these changes. If you, if you ask me what Saudi Arabia's biggest challenge is, it's not on the foreign policy front. It's job creation. Molly, they'll have to create something like three or 400,000 because, as I mentioned, half the population is under 25. They got this big demographic boom coming over the next decade or so. And so they have to create something like three or 400,000 jobs a year just to tread water, just to stay even. But we're missing the point. A woman can go and get a college degree, but she cannot get into a car and drive to her friend's house to study. Right. Well, it's untenable. It's completely untenable. And I do think we're starting to see some changes. Some of that, you know, I'll give MBS some credit for pushing those. But frankly, I think these changes would they have been happening far too slow and far too late. But I think they would be happening regardless of the leadership there. All right. Um, and I guess no one's protesting that, yeah. on college campuses the way they do in America. They probably just be shot <laughs> dead or executed. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. No snowflakes in Saudi Arabia. Well, okay. on Twitter. Oh, not, not, they're not allowed. Five. Yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. Like- no, actually, Saudi Arabia has one of the most vibrant. Uh, as of a couple years ago, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but as of a couple years ago, it had the highest proportion of citizens actively engaged on Twitter. Women had to get approval. That's where politics. They could do that's it. where politics happens. You know, it's online, social media. All right. But, so but, uh, going back to this whole, then great. This is probably why this happened online with Twitter. So Canada versus Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Well, I think actually this is part of the theme that I'm mentioning. This is a leader, you know, confident, brash, but at the same time uh, is willing to broke kind of no dissent. So I, I actually think that the, the message of this Canada spat is less about Canada. I mean, it's thousands of miles away. Trade is pretty low. Frankly, the Canadians aren't, you know, this is going to be a minor blow for them. But I think it, frankly, it's rather 
a message um, to Saudis themselves that we're not going to tolerate any dissent. We've got this new economic vision. You're going to like it. It's going to be good for you. But think twice about voicing your, uh, your, your concerns or your doubts. Can you just explain what actually the tweet that set off Saudi Arabia, what was it that made them actually stand up and get angry? Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, the foreign minister of Canada basically put out a tweet referring to the Badawi family, which is a kind of family of, of, of kind of dissidents, of, of, of political activists um, who essentially have been calling for some of the things that have been happening, women to drive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the members of this family, I, I believe, has dual Canadian citizenship. So it's not completely out of bounds from that perspective for the Canadians to express interest in this case. And essentially, the Saudis went ballistic and said that this is an outrageous and unconscionable interference in our domestic policy. First, the Canadian ambassador was was basically PNG'd or sent home, which, you know, that would have been, I guess, uh, okay. But it continued from there. And then pretty soon you had uh, thousands of uh, Saudi students in Canada, something like 7,000, maybe perhaps 10,000 with their family members, were basically said, you can no longer study in Canada. Your scholarship's paid for by the government. You're going to have to find school elsewhere. Of course, this is happening in, in August, a month before school starts. not so easy to change countries, let alone universities, in, in two or three weeks. And then it went from there. Saudi patients in Canadian hospitals are apparently being withdrawn. There's a divestment campaign going. You know, the irony of all this is really the Saudi citizens caught in the middle are going to be the one that pay the price. Yeah. Um, but these, that's the these, way it always is. Because That's I mean, the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. the powers the to goes. be have major egos and the citizens underneath them don't get to voice their opinions and get stuck in the middle of this dissent. Like it's just... It's outrageous over and over and over again. Yeah, I won't uh, disagree with that that assessment. Um, and, and again, I think in some ways this is rather carefully calibrated. The Saudi-Canadian relationship is frankly, it's not a relationship that makes the world go round. Um, you know, there'll be some dislocation for Canada, but, but this, as I see it, is first and foremost a kind of political statement, and it's a statement that's, uh, well, it is aimed at, frankly, other European countries think twice if you're going to say anything um, bad about us, I think it's not an accident that Trudeau and Trump, this is happening at a time when their perceptions that uh, Justin Trudeau and Donald Trump's relationship are kind of uh, on the outs. Um, mm. So it's a message to kind of other Western countries, European countries, don't mess with our affairs. But but first and foremost, I see it as a message to the, the Saudi people themselves. Mm. We're not going to tolerate uh, any dissent. It's just so interesting because it's Canada. And like no one has a beef with Canada ever. I mean, they never do yep. anything wrong in that world. Like pick a day, America's got it. But Canada? Just, yeah, yeah. Weird. No, it came out of the blue for a lot of people. But I suspect you're also interested in some of these other cases. It, it fits a pattern, uh, whether it's Yemen or Qatar or the, the house arrest, if you will, of yeah, the but Lebanese prime minister Yemen, last year. Isn't Yemen like? 22 million people that are basically dying at the hands of Saudi Arabia. Is that wrong? Is that right? Uh, Is that accurate? I might not put it quite like that, but it's certainly uh, a catastrophe. Is that fake probably... news, what I said? I mean, I think it's real. It's happening. Yeah, no, no, there's something like a million people are now suffering from cholera, which which wasn't there three years ago before the, the kind of South. I mean, you know, the, the, the issue is that Yemen has long been a kind of failing state on the precipice, but certainly the military intervention by Saudi Arabia has, has, has pushed them over 
that precipice to the point where we have starvation level hunger in, in a lot of places. As someone who researches all this stuff, which I'm sure can be very depressing, what's your like takeaway? Because when I look at the world, it seems like it's run by these crazy nutters who are very self-absorbed, right? So you've got North Korea and you have the United States, sorry. And even here, I mean, Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister, often is very concerned with his ice cream budget and not really more about his people. But you see, even in Iran... My point is, is that are they going to start to make these wild decisions and actually have real war with nuclear weapons based on things that happened on social media or maybe didn't even happen at the cost of, I guess, the world? So one of my questions, Molly, to myself, as I've been watching kind of Saudi foreign policy, we talked about Yemen, these these other kind of flare ups. A question in my mind is, is Mohammed bin Salman and the small group of people around him, is it a learning machine in the sense of, look, we tried Yemen, it went very badly. We tried the, the Gulf crisis, it went badly. At what point does it learn from these mistakes and try to take on, I won't say more productive, but at least less damaging <laughs> escapades, if you will. And to this point, <laughs> the, you know, if Canada is, is the uh, piece of evidence, we're, we're not seeing it. And that is worrisome. Now, I will say, again, Canada has kind of calibrated. It's it's symbolically a big deal, but its real world consequences, you know, are relatively, notwithstanding those Saudi citizens, is relatively minor. But, you know, the effects in Qatar and Yemen, of course, um, you know, these are real things happening. You know, fundamentally, what's happened here is you had a kind of 70-year kind of tacit understanding between the United States and Saudi Arabia in which, you know, the Saudis provide the oil and the U.S. provide the the kind of arms and the uh, strategic security. And basically that kind of pact has broken down, say, over the last 10 or 15 years, in part because of the energy revolution happening in the United States, where Saudi Arabia, frankly, is not as important to Washington as it was in decades past. And, and I think what that has ha- and that's kind of exactly coincided with this succession uh, conflict inside Saudi Arabia. And Riyadh is feeling exposed and they're feeling nervous. As you suggest, they're kind of overcompensating for this anxiety they feel about Iran and frankly taking it out on some of the populations in the the smaller countries around them, whether it's Lebanon or Yemen or, 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 or Qatar. I'm always amused when I interview people from like think tanks or the, you know, people that analyze the way that you often talk is very much like a relationship coach relationship therapist, you know, they're feeling the heat and they've been exposed and so they have to make up for it. There was something you just said about Iran um, and it was just like, oh, I'm so scared. So let me just take it out on somebody else. You know, like I didn't mean to hit her. I won't do it again, but I will. I'm learning. I'm just learning how to be a good husband. I thought you're supposed to hit your wife when she doesn't cook your meal right. Oops. It's wild to me when when we use this kind of language because even he's MBS. That's so ridiculous. He sounds like a rapper. He's even arrested his own family. I mean, he's like, that's insane to me. Saudi Arabia is kind of in this bubble, this super duper wealthy bubble. He can do whatever he wants and he's doing it. And while he has this vision 2030, it's almost to make himself look good, right? Because he kind of overstepped and he got to be prince when another guy was supposed to be really the prince and the leader. So he has to show, look at me, I'm doing things. But at the same time, 
when they are called out, when Saudi Arabia is actually called out, is don't look at them as progressive. Look at what's really going on. There are human rights violations all the time. I mean, we didn't even talk yet, and I don't even know if there's a conversation to be had about LGBTQ, as in, yeah, yeah. I don't think it exists, and I think if it does exist... Well, it's a very exist, short conversation. Yeah, you're dead. I mean, I don't think they recognize homosexuals as people. Although, fun fact, in the Palestinian Authority... Women can date women, but not men can date men. But I digress. I digress. Go back to Saudi Arabia. So those kinds of things like actual human rights violations are constant and a given. And what they're saying is that it's worse. Do you think that it's worse as someone that's doing all the reading up on it and, you know, writing all the articles? Do you see it as worse? Well, you know, I'll go back to where I started, that there's definitely a tension. I mean, I think there is a cultural awakening happening. You know, you have to remember Saudi Arabia. It's, you know, arguably the most conservative society um, in the world. I think things are changing. They're happening at a glacial pace. The human rights are appalling. Treatment of women are appalling. I would say as a general matter, things are actually improving. But... For anyone who is even thinking about some kind of political activism, we're moving towards an era of kind of authoritarianism. So, so I would say as a general matter, the human rights situation is improving. But for anyone, if you have political dissent, if you're unhappy, if you're a member of the family, the ruling family, that is, then then there clearly is this level of repression, which um, – Prince Mohammed is basically springboarding to establish control. I mean, it really is, it's Game of Thrones. And, you know, and I think to some extent you're right that, you know, whether we're talking about the internal situation or the foreign policy, a lot of this is about succession politics, which, you know, it's brutal here in the United States. We're finding that's, you know, just as brutal and probably more so in, in, in Saudi Arabia. All right. To wrap it up, and I know this is a hard way to wrap it up. We just talked a second about Iran. And they all hate each other. So Saudi Arabia is against Iran. And therefore, should everyone be shaken in their boots that there's going to actually be a real war, a real World War III? And I don't know where Canada is going to be. You know, that when I was in uh, U.S. government, there was a, you know expression that sometimes would use that Saudis want to fight Iran to the last American. And so I think what we're, we're going to see, I think, increasing amount of, of, of proxy wars. So the Saudi-Iran competition is terrible news for Yemen. It's terrible news for Lebanon, for Syria. But in terms of an outright military confrontation between the two countries, I see that as a very low, a very oh. low probability. Oh, you made me so happy. Because I live in Israel, and like the threat of war, we actually put bets on it. Well, during that's the a summer. different. That's a different discussion. Oh, you're burnt. Oh, you just let me down. What? They're still going to go after us. You said they still always hate Israel. I said Saudi Iran is is a low probability. Israel Iran. That's. Uh, oh that's, no. That's, that's, so that's, I should that's move a, to Saudi Arabia, but they won't have me. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Canada. But Canada is going to, I mean, look at what they're turning into. They're a beast. They're tweeting things they shouldn't be. There should be censorship and laws. Damn that turtle. All right. Perry, I want to thank you so much for your time. You actually, you you educated me, which is tough to do, I would say. I think that for our audience, it was a really good look at the behind the scenes of Saudi Arabia, what's really going on and who MBS is. and, And they know his name now, so they'll buy all his records. Any final thoughts you want to add or how can people follow you on on social media? See if you get caught in the web. I suppose I should know my uh, Twitter handle. I believe <laughs> it's at, <laughs> I think it's at Perry Kamak. 
But uh, no, thanks for having me, Molly. This was a lot of fun. And you woke up extra early for this, so I want to thank you. I'm going to thank our editor, as always, Scott Kahn, who just puts it together, takes out all my dumb questions, or sometimes leaves them in if I've been bad. Everyone can follow us as well online, social media, on Twitter, at MidiSpeasties, The MidiSpeast, of course. When you're searching online for us, read all the articles. Everything is funny. It'll make you feel good and bad at the same time. And you should subscribe to the podcast. Listen to all the back episodes before you get to this one so nothing makes sense. All right. You've been listening to another episode of the Mid-East Beast Podcast.